We'll get going this morning. It's great to see everybody as we prepare for a week of eating. Everybody ready to eat this week? Oh, that's good. Okay. Some are, some aren't. All the ones we have to cook are going, no. Get ready for a wonderful week of being with family and friends. Being grateful to the Lord for his many blessings this week, and it's great to see everybody today. Just have a couple of announcements uh, before we have a wonderful time to honor and dedicate a precious little one to the Lord. Uh, This week, um, there will be no activities this Wednesday here on campus, obviously for Thanksgiving week, so office will be closed Wednesday through Friday, and no Bible studies or anything here on the campus this Wednesday. However, we're back to it next Sunday with our Sunday school Bible studies, everything's back to normal, normal schedules to uh, proceed into December. Operation Christmas Child, as many of you know, we've been announcing the past few weeks. Today was the day to bring in your boxes. I see many have already been brought in the hallway. If you did forget for some reason, you can bring them in tomorrow uh, morning before 10 a.m. So just let one of us, the staff members, know that you may need to bring it in, and then we'll put it with the boxes before we take them to Ridgecrest for them to be delivered to Atlanta. And last announcement, we brought some things up last week about some Christmas fellowships that are coming up in December. We wanted to make you aware of, if you get on the website at gatewaybaptist.com, under news and upcoming events, there's a blog in there that shows the schedule for December. Uh, Very excited about spending some time as the community of faith and laughing, enjoying some uh, wonderful Wednesday nights together. The first one, just to be aware, to put on the calendar for the ladies, will be a ladies' Christmas fellowship game night Friday, December 2nd. Friday, December 2nd, and all the details, as we said, are on the blog. So now I'm going to ask our pastor to come up for a baby dedication. Well, thanks, CJ. You guys come on up here. We get the joy of starting off this morning with a baby dedication to kick off our service together. This is something we as a community get to do together as the Watleys commit their newest child to the Lord standing before you today. This is Carson and Lindsay Watley, and this is baby Sophia right here. He's looking at me like, I don't know what I think about him. (laughs) And our big brothers, Vincent and Nolan, are standing here joining them as well. So why is this family standing before you all today? Because they believe and understand what Psalm 127 teaches. And I remind us often of these, but it simply says children are a heritage from the Lord. And friends, this is just such a reminder to us that our children do not belong to us. We talk about them being our children, but they ultimately belong to the Lord. God has entrusted them to us to raise according to his ways for their calling, to pursue their call, his calling on their lives. And so we realize that they're blessings, they're gifts. And yes, you agree with that, don't you? You are a blessing and a gift, and they're an awesome responsibility. But doing so also follows an example we see set in Scripture, going all the way back to the Old Testament. You think of 1 Samuel chapter 1, when Hannah had prayed for a child, and God granted her the child, and she keeps her promise in 1 Samuel 1.28. She says, I have lent him to the Lord. And what a great expression that is, that she's returned to the Lord, the child that has been given to her for God's purposes for him. You see the same even as we get into the Advent season soon with Jesus' parents in Luke chapter 2, when they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. There's a sense in these families of our children belong to God, and we're going to entrust our children back to the Lord for his purposes. We do this not privately in a humble, we do it here publicly because we're made for community. It's a reminder that the children are a blessing to the parents, but they're also a blessing to their extended family. They're a blessing to the church family as well. And that's why in Gateway we love even the noise of kids in the room because children are a blessing from the Lord. And so a reminder to us that 
They're not to raise their family in isolation. We're to come alongside them as praying for them and encouraging them and helping them in practical ways. So we do this publicly as a gathering here this morning because this is part of our role as a community of believers walking this journey of life together. So first I have a charge for you guys as parents and I have a charge for you. You're not off the hook this morning. I have a charge for you guys as well. But first to Carson and to Lindsay, I want to remind you of what God's word says for you. Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That's a big command given to you guys and given to God's people that it starts with you guys loving the Lord yourself together and individually pursuing Christ in this and then teaching these gospel truths to your children, talking about them when you're sitting at home, when you're walking, basically in every moment, you're redeeming the time and pointing your kids to Christ and reminding them of the gospel. And the command in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord that is calling you guys have to bring them up in God's discipline and God's instruction. That's God's unchanging plan for you guys. So several questions for you guys. I know we've, you've answered these before with your boys, but now with Sophia. First of all, fundamentally, do you guys desire by God's grace, because we can't do this alone, but by God's grace to seek him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to let your home be a place that's full of the gospel? I know you do on that. Do you recognize this day that Sophia is a gift from God entrusted to you? Absolutely, and we agree with that. So, do you commit this day to, by God's grace, to be teaching her God's ways and pointing her to Christ, both before she comes to faith in Christ and after, is keeping the gospel before her all of her days? I know you do. And do you commit this day to regularly pray for the day that Sophia trusts Christ as her Lord and Savior and to keep the gospel before her? I know you do. Now, Gateway family, you're not off the hook here either. Will you guys agree to pray for Carson and Lindsay as they raise Sophia along with Vincent and Nolan and to pray that Sophia will trust Christ and be used by God for his purpose? Would you agree to pray that for them? I know you will. And let me remind you, we committed to pray that many times for other children here. So as you see the kids running around the building, let that be a reminder to you to continue to pray for these families. I want to pray for you guys and we'll present her with a Bible. Father, we thank you for Carson. We thank you for Lindsay. We thank you for their obvious love for you. Thank you for the ways they serve with such joy here in the church. Lord, thank you for the way the gospel has changed them and that their hearts have been turned to you by your grace. And we thank you for their precious family. Thank you already for their boys that we've entrusted into your care. But we thank you again this morning for Sophia and just blessing them with this precious little girl. And Lord, thank you even as we hear her sound and see the joy on her face. Thank you for the blessing of this life that you've given to them. And we pray for much wisdom for them they raise her, as they raise their boys, they would just give them the grace they need to keep the gospel ever before their family. And Lord, I pray as well, you give them much grace to keep the gospel before themselves, to keep preaching the gospel to themselves and one another and to their kids all their days. We pray for Sophia, Lord, that you would be using her mightily in her life for your kingdom purposes. You'd be turning her heart to you. You would bring her to faith in Christ in early age, and she would, through her life, make a huge kingdom impact for you and for your glory. So we thank you for them. Pray your blessings for them all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And we have a little baby Bible for her. So, Sophia, enjoy your first little Bible right there. So, God bless you all. Thank you. All right, church, let's stand and prepare our hearts to worship. Reading from Daniel chapter 4. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. 
For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Let's worship our king of heaven this morning.
praise you for your never-ending grace. You will keep on singing on that glorious day. Sing hallelujah. redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight father you have saved us not because of our works but because of your glorious grace you have lavished on us this glorious grace by rescuing us from your wrath and removing our sin and our guilt and clothed us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We gather this morning to bless you and to give you all the praise and glory that is due your holy name. Thank you this morning for the privilege that we have of gathering to worship you through song, through prayer and the preaching of your word. Lord, as we've just sung these glorious truths, we know that on that day we will see you 
face to face, and what a glorious day that will be. Lord, we are here now, waiting for that day, anticipating it. And I pray that it's an anticipation of hope, a longing to be in your presence. And Lord, as we wait, cry out to you, how long, O oh Lord? Cry out to you for the needs that we have, and pray and ask that, Lord, you would keep, keep and guard our hearts, for, Lord, we are prone to wander and leave the God that we love. God, this morning, do a work in our hearts through your word. Pray that you would continue to grow us. This morning, we want to pray for a number of things that are going on in our church. We think of our, our gateway youth. And, Father, my prayer is that these young people would grow in the grace and knowledge of you. And that those who are volunteering and leading the youth, thank you for them and their service. And that they, Lord, would give to the youth your word, your truth. That they would come alongside them, disciple them, encourage them in you. Lord, we pray that you would raise up young men and women to go to the far flungs of the earth, the mission field, to hear in their own backyard. Lord, to be a witness for you and to, if you give them families, that they would raise their families in the fear and admonition of you. Father, I pray this morning for Lenny and Debbie Dixon. Thank you for their ministry and their heart for the gospel. We pray for the many needs through Shepherd staff, and we pray that you would give them strength and encouragement as they serve and lead and love the people that they're responsible for. Lord, we just thank you for their ministry, and we thank you for the joy that they have. Lord, we also want to pray this morning for our governing authorities. We think of those local leaders here. Governor Ivey, who has just uh, won re-election, Lord, we pray that you would continue to give her wisdom and grace to lead uh, this state, that she would make decisions that would cause flourishing here in, in Alabama. Just give her wisdom, Lord, and surround her with individuals, Lord, who would give her the right, right counsel. We pray, pray that also for Mayor Reed as he has ideas and thoughts about how best to serve the city of Montgomery. And we pray, Lord, that you would give him wisdom and grace as he makes those decisions. Lord, as we think about our local uh, ministry, our local government, we also think about the ends of the earth. We think about the global mission needs. We pray for the, the Dakani Muslims in India. Lord, there's an individual that we know of there that is sharing and evangelizing that community, but there's a huge need for the gospel in India as a whole, but particularly this community. And we pray for this individual who is sharing the gospel to the Dakani, and we pray for others that would move into that region to share the good news, to plant churches, and to, to bring the gospel to a, a lost and dying people. So God, do a work there. Lord, there's so many other needs around us. We pray for those in this room this morning, maybe who are struggling and hurting Lord, this season for many may be a season of joy, but there may be some here this morning that are struggling because as they think of the seasons, they, loneliness comes to mind. Pray, Lord, as a church, we would invite people into our homes, that we would love on people and care for people in this body. And when people come into this church, Lord, they would see the love of Christ in our, how we minister to one another and care for one another and invite one another into our lives. God, I pray that no one in this room would know loneliness this season, that they would know the love of Christ, and they would know the body, this body, loving on them as well. Father, we pray for the offering. We ask that you would use it to further your kingdom. Give, the, give us wisdom as how we use that, as the elders have been walking through that, and I pray, Lord, that you would take what has been given, and Lord, you would multiply it for the advancement of your kingdom. And now as Grady comes to preach, God, I pray that you would... Give us listening ears and seeing eyes. Help us to be attentive to your word. 
And pray for Grady, Lord, as he comes, that you would just bless him as he speaks your truth. The gospel would go forth. The word of God would do its work in our hearts and lives, that we would leave here a people transformed by your truth. We thank you for this, and we praise you and give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. And first to fourth graders, you are dismissed to kids' worship. First to fourth, you have Pastor CJ and Miss Nikki this morning. So you guys have fun back there. So first to fourth graders, you can head Pastor CJ. While they're headed, if you'll find First Peter chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word, First Peter chapter 2 this morning. Peter has been showing us what it looks like to be sojourners and exiles in the world. And over the last several weeks, we've been focusing on submitting to authorities. And what we've been seeing in the last several weeks is that we can, by God's grace, submit to authority regardless of how that authority treats us. We can, we can submit regardless of how we're treated by remembering that we belong to God, that our identity in Christ gives us the strength to be able to submit to the authorities even if they are unjust authorities. In other words, the normal Christian life, what we've been seeing, is a life of submission, it's a life of willingly giving honor to those above us. It's a life of obeying those who God has placed in authority over us, whether it's a parent, whether it's an employer situation, whether it is a government situation, that we willingly give honor and obedience to those God has placed in authority. Now, as we seek to do that, last week we saw there's a hard reality that often accompanies this truth. So I just want to remind us of that. If you look back in your copy, guys, we're to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. Peter said, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. As we seek to submit to authorities, it doesn't mean we're going to have an easy life. Peter says, rather, we will have sorrows. And notice that sorrows is plural, that our normal Christian life is a life marked with not just one sorrow, but sorrows throughout our life while we suffer unjustly. And then in verse 20, Peter repeats that and takes it to the next level, that last phrase of verse 20. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That the Christian life is a life of us striving by God's grace to do good, and yet at times suffering for it and being called by God to endure. So the question for us is, how do we live joyfully? How do we live patiently when God tells us our lives are going to have sorrows, that our lives are going to have injustices that come to us, when our lives are going to have suffering? How do we live joyfully and patiently in a life full of pain and sorrow and injustice and suffering. Now, that just seems so abnormal, doesn't it? To equate a life of sorrow with a life of joy and patience. That seems so contrary to our natural inclination. It seems almost impossible. And friends, as we wrestle with these truths, these truths are hard for me as I assume they are for you. These are challenging words from God. There's not the scriptures that we love to run to in our devotions. They're not the scriptures we love to frame and hang in our house. And like many of you, I do not like being told you're going to suffer in this life. I don't like being told you're going to experience injustices done to you in this life. But even more, friends, I really don't like being told, be patient through those. Be joyful in those. And by the way, don't take revenge. That's not what I like to hear. And I assume that's probably not what you like to hear either, because that's not a natural perspective for us. So in light of all that, how do we grow in this? How do we grow in having a perspective that's willing to embrace injustices done to us and sufferings that come our way and to do so with patience and to do so with endurance and to do so with joy? How do we do that? And that's exactly where Peter goes next. Because Peter understands this perspective on suffering is unnatural. Peter understands this perspective on suffering is hard. And Peter understands this perspective on suffering is impossible apart from Christ. 
So before we get to today's text, think back to Peter's earlier life when he was walking with Jesus during Jesus' three years of his earthly ministry. Do you remember how Peter reacted when Jesus started talking about suffering? Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 and 22. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Verse 22, and Peter took him aside, this is just mind-blowing, right? And began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Friends, the reality is none of us like suffering when we have to go through it or when someone we love has to go through it also. And so Jesus loves Peter too much to let Peter get away with that view of suffering and what Jesus himself will have to go through. And so he corrects it. Verse 23, Jesus turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter had a wrong view of the sufferings of Christ. And so Jesus, this is not a I'm mean and getting even with you response. This is a loving but forceful response because Peter had his mind set on the wrong things. He was thinking from a worldly standpoint about sufferings of Christ instead of a biblical standpoint on that. Friends, the struggle to embrace suffering is not unique to us. It was a struggle for Peter, and it's a struggle for a lot of us as well to see how suffering and hardships fits into God's plan. But just as Peter grew in his understanding of this, we can too. Our verses today that we're coming to in 1 Peter 2 come from a much wiser, older Peter writing much later in his life, who has learned about patiently enduring suffering in life. And so as we read our verses today, be looking for what changes our perspective on suffering. How did Peter himself go from the guy who's saying no to suffering to what he's going to say today? How do we learn to patiently endure? So what changes our perspective and how do we learn to patiently endure? I want to look for those in verses 21 to 23. So can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the Word of God? 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 21 to 23, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. We'll have the words on the screen for you also. Verse 21 of 1 Peter 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you when your word pushes us way out of our comfort zones. And Lord, as we once again come to a text about suffering, I know that this has been stretching me this week. I know your word stretches these friends as well. So we ask for much grace, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and would fill each one of us to help us not only understand this text, but understand what you want us to do personally in our lives in response to this. So we ask for much grace as we approach another challenging text today, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> so I'm going to tell you what the key truth is of this text that I want us to unpack this morning. And this is the main idea, and this is going to challenge for me, and it's a challenge for you today. Here's the challenge for us from this text. Look to the perfect example of Christ to find strength to trust God in your sufferings. The call to us here, the challenge to us here, is to look to Christ, our perfect example, to find the strength we need to find joy as we patiently endure sufferings. So how did Peter go from resisting suffering to embracing it? He looked to Christ. He saw how Christ had approached the injustices done to him. If you think back to Peter's life, he had a front row seat to the life of Christ. And he saw how Jesus responded to every injustice that came to him. And Christ's own example became a pattern for Peter. It shaped him so he can say these things now. And by God's grace, as you and I think about Christ, it can shape us 
as well today. We can be a people who look to the example of Christ and find strength to patiently endure suffering with joy because we're trusting in the Lord. So as we unpack that, let's look at our text this morning. Again, we start with the reality of suffering. Now, if you've been going with us for a while here, First Peter may be thinking we've seen this a lot, and yes, we have, and there's a lot more to come on this topic. Don't worry on that. This is a topic that we need, and friends, honestly, it's not a topic we're prone to think about. Most of our devotionals probably don't have a lot about suffering in them. Most of us don't spend a lot of time thinking about suffering, and so Peter keeps bringing it up because God knows we need this. Look at the reality of suffering, verse 21. For to this you have been called. Now, let's just stop right there. As believers, who he's writing to, you and I have been called to something. What is the this that we have been called to? That's what Peter was just teaching us last week, verse 20. Go back to the last half of verse 20. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So you got two thises. This is grace. To this you have been called. What are those two thises? That previous phrase, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. That this is to do good and yet suffer for it and yet endure. So put that, those words into what Peter says here. Let's replace this. Go back to verse 21 this morning. For to do good, yet suffer, yet endure, you have been called. Okay, that's not the calling most of us like to think about. God is saying, I'm calling you as my people to do good and yet be willing to suffer for it and yet still endure. Friends, this is the calling for all believers. This is not just for those at Peter's time who are exiles. This is not just for the underground church in China. This is God's calling on all of his people, regardless of what culture they find themselves in. This word called here is the exact same word we saw earlier back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It's an amazing text about our identity. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, it's talking about salvation here. Called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The same word for calling here. So we need to let the reality of that sink in. That the same word that describes God giving to undeserving sinners us salvation is now the same word that God uses to say, you're calling us also as my children now to seek to do good, yet be willing to suffer and yet endure that at the same time. That means for suffering is not some detour in this life that we try to avoid. It is not an unplanned bump in the road where God's in heaven being, oops, I didn't see that one coming for them. How do we fix that? Rather, somehow in God's mysterious plan, suffering becomes part of his good plan for his people. Now, friends, I know that sounds unsettling to some. I know that it sounds very contrary to what so much of our culture and even the American church prioritizes. I know that's not what our flesh wants to hear. But the reality is we need to understand God for who he is, not who we want him to be. Friends, we need to understand God's will for us is revealed in Scripture, not what our culture tells us God's plan for us is to be. And the reality from Scripture, from 1 Peter and from many places, that our calling by God includes a calling to embrace suffering in this life. In fact, this truth is so important, Peter repeats it multiple times here. For example, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, get a little glimpse of where we're going in the months to come. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. There's this, for to this you were called. You may obtain a blessing. That our calling is to bless people even when they hurt us. Or 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So at times God's will is for us to suffer for doing good. Or chapter 4, verse 19. We'll get to that sometime late in 2023, right? 
In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, we'll let further along in the letter. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Again, that's not the phrase we like. They're suffering according to God's will. Let them entrust their souls to a faithful creator, creator while doing good. So God's clear revelation for us here and elsewhere is that suffering is part of the Christian path. And yet God redeems it for our good. God redeems it for the good of other people. And God redeems it ultimately for his glory. Friends, that means as much as we don't want to hear it, when we suffer or face personal injustices, that's not bad luck. That's not just some coincidence. Friends, nor is it God abandoning us, nor is it God forsaking us, nor is it God punishing us in some way. Rather, God in his grace calls his people to walk through hardships on this journey to eternity with him for our good, for the good of others, and for his glory. And friends, like I said earlier, Peter knows that is not a natural perspective. You and I know that is not a natural perspective. So how do we keep such a view when life is hard as we walk through sufferings and hardships? And Peter tells us, he gave us a glimpse of this last week. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. He said, for this is a gracious thing. If you remember last week, literally, this is grace. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. The key here is this phrase, being mindful of God. Of God. The only way we can keep such a countercultural, radical perspective is to be mindful of God. Now, last week we looked at several things in those verses we're to be mindful of, but Peter's going to build on that today and particularly tell us to be mindful of Christ. That if we want to keep this perspective, we need to turn our focus off our circumstances and on to Christ Himself. What do we need to be mindful about Christ? Well, Peter tells us three things to be mindful of Christ here. Number one, to be mindful of Jesus's nature, to be mindful, to remember, to think about the nature of Jesus. Look at verse 22 in that first phrase, he committed no sin, that Jesus never sinned in any way, shape, form, or fashion. He's holy, he's perfect in all that he has done. One of the authors I was reading this way said it so well, thinking about what Peter saw for those three years. This author said, if Jesus had ever grabbed a tasty morsel of fish for himself, or if he ever exploded in frustration as thick-headed disciples, Peter would have known. But Peter never saw Jesus stray in deed or in word. Jesus never got upset unjustly, never made a bad decision, and never got a laugh at another person's expense. And so when Peter writes here that Jesus committed no sin, he saw it firsthand himself all those years. So friends, if you and I want to see what holiness looks like, we just look to Jesus. If we want to see the nature of God, we just look to Jesus, the one who committed no sin. So Peter says, be mindful of God. Remember the nature of Christ. But second of all, be mindful of what Jesus has done for you. Be mindful, remember, think about, turn your focus to what Jesus has done for you. Verse 21 here. For to this is you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. So why did Christ suffer for us? Well, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he tells us more explicitly. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. Jesus willingly suffered for us so that we could be brought into a relationship to God. Friends, you hear me say often, but let me remind us again, when we're drawn to a relationship with God, it's not a get-out-of-hell-free car so we can do what we want to do. God draws us to a relationship with himself to change us, to transform us, to mold us. And what is he molding us to be like? Romans chapter 8, verse 29. In Romans 8, 29 For those whom he, God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed, notice this, to the image of his son. Then when God draws us to himself, he is changing us through our lives and through the hardships we experience to be more like Christ. And yes, he uses everything in life, the good and the bad, to do so. The verse before, Romans 8, 28, the well-known verse. 
We know that for those who love God, all things, that all is the highs and the lows, that all is the suffering and the good, the, high, the highs of the justices that we experience, the lows of the injustices, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So Peter's telling us here to be mindful of God. If we want this radical, unnatural perspective on suffering, think about God, and particularly now think about Christ, his perfect nature. Think about what he's done for us. But number three, and this is the big focus of this text, to be mindful of how Jesus approached suffering. To be mindful, to remember to think about how Jesus himself approached suffering. Look at verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his steps. He says here that Christ suffered, leaving us an example. Now, a quick little Greek note here on this word example. Example does not do justice to the riches of what Peter is describing here. In fact, what Peter's describing here is best illustrated by something you probably did as a kid. So I got a slide for you up here. I want to see if any of you have ever done this. Did any of you ever recognize one of these from preschool, okay? You remember these your parents gave you or your preschool teachers gave you, right? What did you do with these? You were learning your letters, right? So what did you do? You saw the, the model of it. They showed you which way to draw. And what did you do with your pencil? You followed the arrows and you traced the same letter. So that exercise, you would trace the A 15 times in capital, right? Do another 15 times. And day after day, you would trace the letters, trace the letters until you got them right. And you do that for each letter of the alphabet. That's the word Peter uses here. Not our English word example. He uses a Greek word, hypogrammon. Grammar, where we get the word grammar or writings from, it's a Greek word actually used in education to describe children in the society tracing the alphabet to learn letters. So the very thing that we do in elementary school is something that the Greek language called hypogrammon. That's the word Peter picks here. Not just our general, this is an example for you, but literally this is the tracing for you to follow. What is Peter saying here in light of this? He's saying that yes, suffering is hard. Yes, injustice in your life is hard, but look to Jesus. He's perfect. He shows you how to respond. Remember who he's calling you to be, that you're becoming like Christ. So let your life be a hypogram and be a tracing of the life of Christ. And so with intentionality, the same way as a child, you spent time meticulously drawing over and over and over, saying with that same intentionality, trace your life and your response to suffering to look like Christ. Copy Jesus day after day, after day, after day, and every moment of suffering, keep tracing your life after the pattern of Christ. And because that truth is so important to us, he takes another image now, not just from education, but from walking in life. So go back to verse 21. For to this you have been called, to this, to do good and suffer and endure, because Christ also suffered for it, leaving you an example, a tracing, so that you might follow in his steps. Again, what Peter's saying is, yes, I know suffering is hard, I know injustice is hard, Look to Jesus. He's perfect. He shows you how to respond. Remember, God's making you to be like Christ. So now walk in the same way Jesus walked. Live in the same way that he lived. You know, I can't help but picture when I see things here like footsteps. I think of going to the beach. And if you're there in the early mornings, there's not much of a path. But you see the footsteps of someone going down the beach. It's kind of the image here for us. So you follow those same footsteps of the one who has gone before us. One of the authors I read said this. One cannot step in the footsteps of Jesus and then head off in any other direction than the direction he took. And so if our life is that beach, and Jesus is, you see his, his footsteps are how he walked through suffering, we can't look at those and be like, I'm going to follow him, but I'm going to go that way because that looks easier. We put our feet in the same path he walked. We follow the way, we respond the way that Christ responded 
to suffering. So what direction did Jesus take when he was faced with injustice and suffering? That's important for us to know so we can follow the steps, so we can trace hypogram and his example. And so Peter shows us what direction Jesus did. Peter shows us how Jesus responded to injustices in his life. And he shows it by telling us what he did not do, but also what he did. So notice, first of all, the direction Jesus did not go, because that's the way we are not to go either. And so you see this, remember what Jesus faced. He was accused of being demonic. He was plotted against. He was arrested on false charges. He was unjustly condemned. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was literally spit upon. He was nailed to the cross in the cruelest form of execution ever invented. And even on the cross, he's being mocked. You saved others. Why can't you save yourself? He faced so much injustice, far beyond anything you and I have ever experienced. And what did he not do? What temptations did he not give into? Peter gives us three. Number one, he did not deceive. He did not lie. He did not speak falsely. Verse 22 He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Because the reality for this, when you're in a hard place and there's a place of suffering, there's a temptation to not be truthful, hoping to escape, to hoping to avoid being hurt. Jesus never gave in to that. Even in the hardest moments, his speech was completely pure and always. He did not deceive. Number two, he did not revile. Now, that's not a word we use every day. Revile means to insult or to speak abusively, that Jesus did not insult back, he did not speak abusively. Verse 23, when he was reviled, so when other people insulted him, when other people spoke abusively to him, he did not insult them back, he did not speak abusively back. Friends, the reality is if people said to me the things that they said to Jesus, I might have a really hard time biting my tongue and not responding with insults or abusive speak back. And yet the reality is, friends, we revile over such trivial things in our life. And here's Jesus being faced with the ultimate injustice, and he never insulted back. But number three, and it's closely related, he did not threaten. He did not threaten. Look at that next phrase. He was reviled, but he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Friends, if anyone could threaten, Jesus could have. But there was no, if you don't stop, I'm going to fill in the blank. I mean, he could have called down angels to strike him. He could have called down lightning to hit them for all that they did. If anyone could legitimately threaten, Jesus could. The just judge of the universe is being harmed by those he created. He could have retaliated, but he chose not to. Another author I read this week described it well, and I can, it helped me visualize it. He says, we can almost see Jesus standing before the earthly governor, Pilate, and not reviling in return. When he suffers at the hands of the officer who flogged him and beat him, he did not threaten in return. So Jesus did not deceive, he did not revile, he did not threaten. Now, why are these three highlighted by Peter? There's other things that could have been said. Why these three? We're going to dig into this more next week, but because he was quoting Isaiah actually here. He's quoting Isaiah's prophecy of the Messiah, of not only how the Messiah would suffer and be the suffering servant, but how the Messiah would respond. For example, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, you see the exact same thing, that there was no deceit. And when they made his grave with the wicked, With the rich man in his death, although he did no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. So Peter's just pulling this image from the prophecy about the coming Messiah to show us how the Messiah would respond. And then Isaiah 53, verse 7, you see the the idea of no reviling or no threatening. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before a shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came, it was prophesied not just that he would suffer, but how he would respond to that suffering. As you read the Gospels and the account of Christ's passion, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see he responded exactly like was prophesied. As we read Peter's example here and these reminders of these three things Jesus did not do, it's a reminder of how Jesus perfectly fulfilled 
the prophecies. But this is not just like, oh, that's nice that he fulfilled the prophecies. This is here for our instruction too. Go back to verse 21 today. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his steps. That means that if we are to hypogram and to trace our lives, we cannot do those things either. We cannot deceive, we cannot revile, we cannot threaten when life is hard. That means if we're to follow in his footsteps on the path he's walked through, we cannot go that way either, though that's the easier way to go. Someone I read this week said it so well. This is our calling, Peter says, not to hurt back and to not to plan to hurt back and to not to seethe with bitterness because you're not allowed to hurt back. So you can see this is not a simple rule to keep. This is a miracle to be experienced. And isn't that our tendency? We want to hurt back or we want to plan to hurt back. And then if we're not allowed to, we see with bitterness because we're not allowed to hurt back. This is something that we can only fulfill by God's grace. It's a miracle to be experienced. So if we're not to go down that path, how do we go down a different path? What do we do instead? If that's the put off, what do we put on instead? So notice what Jesus did instead. And friends, this is the key of this whole passage here. This is the key to understanding how Jesus was able to respond with patience and joy in the midst of injustice. And it's the key for how we can respond this way as well. Look at verse 23 again, this last phrase, but look at the whole verse is, is the key for us. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But here it is, here's the put on. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Instead of, putting on, instead of putting on sinful behaviors, he put on something and said Jesus entrusted himself. He handed himself over. He let go of something and gave it to someone else. So what did he do? Two big questions here. How, who did he entrust? Peter tells us here, to him who judges justly. In other words, he entrusted himself to the Father. In the midst of great injustice, in the midst of great pain, great sorrows, great suffering, he trusted the Father. But what did he entrust to the Father? What did he hand over to the Father? Now, this is where our translations hurt us a little bit because they add the word himself here. In the Greek, there is no himself there. It simply says, but continued entrusting to him who judges justly. Now, that sounds awkward in English, so most of our translations stick himself in there. But Peter didn't narrow that down. Jesus wasn't just entrusting himself to the Father. He was entrusting everything to the Father. He was entrusting his circumstances, yes, his pain for what happened to him, but he was entrusting those who were hurting him he was entrusting the whole situation he was in. He was entrusting it all to the Father. It wasn't just, I'm entrusting myself. It's in, I'm entrusting literally everything to the goodness of the Father. And in the Greek here, the tense is continuous action. Jesus is handing over and kept handing over everything to the Father. He trusted and kept on trusting everything to the Father. And again, this was given back to verse 21, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. So what's the example we're to follow? Back to verse 23, we're to entrust ourselves and everything, including our situations and those who are hurting us. We're to entrust everything to him who judges justly. The calling for us in, friends, is to trust and to keep on trusting every part of our lives to God. Our circumstances, our trials, our sorrows, even the fate of those who have hurt us, we have to trust them all into the hands of God, knowing that God himself is the, this here, him who judges justly, that God is just and will one day make all wrongs right. He will not let any sins go unpunished. Right? Paul can tell us in Romans 12, verses 19 to 21, in a very similar text, beloved, never avenge yourself. There you go. It takes everything away from us being able to seek revenge. Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Then in verse 20, he carries on. To the contrary, so it's not just enough to not revenge. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals 
on his head. In verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Friends, we can trust ourselves in all of our circumstances, including those who are hurting us, into the hands of God, knowing that he will make all wrongs right, that he will take care of everything, and therefore it's not our calling to respond to evil with evil. We can overcome evil with good. This is exactly what Peter will command later on in the letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. We read it earlier, but let me remind us of it again. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, here it is, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Friends, when we choose in suffering not to deceive, not to revile, not to insult, not to have harsh words, not to threaten, we're not saying justice does not matter. God is a God of justice. Instead, we're trusting the God of perfect justice to do what is right. Friends, that is our calling, not to pursue a pain-free, easy life, not to work to get from birth to death in the safest, easiest, wealthiest, most comfortable way possible. Our calling as Christians, regardless of where we are in the world, Back to verse 20, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is grace in the sight of God. For to this, doing good and suffering and enduring, you have been called because Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Yes, friends, that's hard. That's countercultural. That goes against all of our desires. And yes, it's impossible in our own strength. So what do we do? We look to Christ, the perfect example who's sinless, the one who died to bring us to God so that we could be conformed to his image. And by God's grace, he conforms us to begin to respond to sufferings the way Christ did, putting off sinful responses, putting off vindication, and trusting God with literally everything. So back to our main idea and our challenge from all of this. Look to the perfect example of Christ to find strength to trust God in all of your sufferings. So I'm I have just one question for us as we wrap up this morning. It's this, friends. It's one I've been wrestling with in my own life this week. What are you trusting in when life is hard? What are you trusting in? Again, the, the way Christ was able to do this, he was entrusting himself to the Father. The command for us here is to entrust ourselves to God. We're all entrusting ourselves to something. What are we entrusting ourselves to? When life gets hard, many of us don't entrust ourselves to God. We entrust ourselves to our own wisdom, that I'm going to figure out how to get through this. Or sometimes we entrust our own plans. Oh, I just got to say it the right way. We run through scenarios in our heads and make sure we're going to do this right. We're trusting our own ways of handling things. Some trust the government to try to make justice happen. Some are trusting our friends to try to help us right these wrongs. Some of us are trusting the church to handle it all for us. We're all trusting in something. Sometimes it's our circumstances. Sometimes it's our friends. Sometimes it's authority. Sometimes it's our own pride. We're trusting in something. Friends, what are you trusting in? What are you entrusting when life is hard? And the reality is God calls us to a better path than trusting ourselves or trusting our circumstances or trusting others. He calls us to trusting him with everything, exactly what Jesus did, trusting our lives, our fate, our situation, life and death, even the fate of those who are hurting us, trusting them all to the just judge who will make all wrongs right. So the question for you this morning, friends, is simply, what are you trusting in? For those who know Christ, this is something that becomes possible because of God's grace. If you never trusted Christ, the only way to have a life like this is to first entrust Christ with your salvation, to trust him to forgive. For those who know Christ, friends, what are you trusting in this week? When you had the lows this week, what did you trust in? When you've had the greatest sorrows of your life, what are you entrusting yourself to? And may God give us grace to be a people who, like Christ, we trace our lives to be ones who entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your word especially when it 
pushes us to topics that are not our favorite topics to deal with as we deal with suffering and hardships. Lord, you know where our hearts go with this. Lord, I'm thankful that your word shapes us and molds us. And Lord, our desire is what we saw in Romans 8 to be true. You'd be conforming us to the image of Christ. Whether you'd be taking us and not leaving us in our sin, that you would take us and not leave us in our selfishness and our pride and our self-reliance and self-dependency. But God, you'd be breaking those things out of us so that we can be more like Christ. And so Lord, I pray for all of us for much, much grace this week. It would not trust ourselves, we would not be trusting our circumstances, but Lord, we would entrust ourselves and our situation and everything into your hands. Lord, you know we can't manufacture those desires. We can't manufacture joy and hardships. We can't manufacture endurance and suffering. Lord, we cannot manufacture a heart that's excited to give everything to you and to let go of control of ourselves. Our pride runs so deep, Lord, and you know how tightly we cling to wanting to trust ourselves. So God, we ask for much, much, much grace this week to have open hands to you and trust everything those around us, our situations, our very lives and health, everything into your hands, knowing that you are good and right and your plans are always best, even if we don't fully understand. Lord, help us find joy this week in trusting you, knowing that we belong to you. Lord, give us grace this week as we run to scripture and run to prayer to be mindful of you, to be mindful of Christ and remember that you have brought us to yourself. And I pray that would radically change my life and the life of these precious friends this week. But we ask it all so that we can find joy and ultimately so you can find glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning? Christ I will encounter 
That is our prayer and our hope for you this week. Do you find peace? Do you remember where your heavenly home is? And that will give you much strength for whatever sorrows you work with. I know these are weighty matters we're discussing. You know, many of you carry deep sorrows and deep sadness. So at the end of the service day, I'd love for some of our elders to be available. So maybe some of the elders could come up front. And if you'd like someone to come pray with you about the sorrows you're walking through, struggles you have, if you just need a word of encouragement or reminder of the promises of God, I'd love for some of these guys to be available. So come catch one of these guys up front if you'd like someone to pray with you at the end of the service. Let's close out in prayer. Father, we do pray that what we just sung would not just be words, but be our experience, that we find peace regardless of our circumstances, and we have an eternal perspective because you have redeemed us and we know you are holding us and that we can say with confidence, Christ is mine forevermore. Oh Lord, let that be our anchor and our hope this week, whether we're on the ups or the downs, that Christ is mine forevermore. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.